So in, at Cornerstone, every February, we spend a certain amount of weeks talking about love, romance, dating, marriage. Um, it's something that we really prioritize and love to do. So every February, for, certain, for some amount of time, we have a sermon series that's dedicated to it. And this year, we decided to just go with two weeks. So today, I'm starting with the series, and then next week, I'll, I'll also be preaching and, and close us out. Uh, but we decided to add the, the supplementary thing after service that Abe mentioned in the announcements. Next week after service, Pastor Bill will just be uh, having an open forum and seminar discussion to talk about how we can advise uh, Christians and young Christians to pursue dating and the dating life. But our series won't be, so that's going to be specifically directed to those of you who are either hoping to date or in the middle of it, while the series is going to be addressing all areas of romance, and it is my Super duper joy every year that I get to do this. Uh, Pastor Bill is like the gifts and calling guy, right? I'm happy to be the love and make babies guy. So uh, this is uh, exciting for me. So let me, let me pray and then uh, we'll get into the fun stuff, okay? God, we commit ourselves to your word because it is the only perfect uh, guide and rule for our faith and for our life. It's the only thing that we want to live by. It's the only thing that we want to receive wisdom and guidance from. It's the only thing that we want to hold ever so tightly to because it reveals to us who you are as our God and King. And it reveals to us how we can follow you and how we can live for you. And in that, it shows us the way to experience the greatest joy in this life. And so whether it be romance in Februarys or tithing and giving as we just uh, had a series on or whatever it may be, I ask for your Holy Spirit to settle and to min- here in this place and to minister to us in a way that makes us long after your word and, what, and where it leads us. So we're not interested in Danny's opinion or his word or anyone else's, but yours alone. So won't you make that known to us now as we commit ourselves to you in the service. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a place in Japan called Hirakata, Hirakata? I don't know how to pronounce it, amusement park, which is located not too far from the city of Osaka. And this is just a clip or a, a screenshot from their website. And it's a pretty ordinary amusement park. I mean, you see from the pictures that there's rides, People walk around of all stages with their children or teenagers. Uh, You can get concessions and eat like a, well, I was going to say pizza, but probably not pizza in Japan, right? I don't know what they have over there, but you can eat food and and have fun and play games and win prizes. But there's one unique element about Hirakata Amusement Park that is different than maybe the ones that you're expecting, like Six Flags. So there is a service where customers can go to the office and pay for their staff to cr- who are paid actors to create scenarios for you to impress the date that you bring to the amusement park. <laughs> so, for example, a classic, uh, a classic thing that, that customers do is that they'll hire uh, uh, three of these actors to come and to harass the girl that some guy is trying to woo, maybe insult her, be really rude, And then he stands up for her and then by himself beats up all three guys. So what you do is you actually book a date on the calendar, you pay your fee, and the day before the actual uh, event, you rehearse all day long 
with paid actors to make sure that the blows look real and that they fall on the ground and then you come out victorious. And it's not just that. There have been some guys who are really, really creative. One guy apparently, he wanted to simulate that someone in the amusement park had been shot and is bleeding to death. So they walk over to the scene, they see all these people huddling, and they're all actors, and the EMTs are trying to resuscitate this person who's bleeding to death, and the EMT announces, we need someone to donate blood. And all the actors are like, no, no, I can't do that. And then the guy who's ready is like, I'll do it, and he donates fake blood. And one guy asks the staff to fake a bomb scare, where it's counting down, like the movies, like the red blinking light, 10, 9, 8. There's three colored cords, and only he's, he's the only person in the whole park who's willing to risk his life to cut the right one. Can you imagine what he would do to his date at that time? I hope I cut the right one, but it was really nice getting to know you. Like, what do you say at that point? Can I take you out to coffee? And he cuts the right one. Everyone celebrates. He's the hero. So first thing I think about this, and I'm like, man, the Japanese are really creative, and they have a lot of fun. Uh, but the other thought is who are the guys who are actually paying money for this? Can, can, can I ask the women in the house if you would actually be impressed by some guy like cutting a fake bomb that you know is clearly fake? And then if it happens to work, who are the women that are falling for the guys that are paying for something like this? And it makes me think how desperately some people just need a little bit of coaching and guidance on how to navigate romance and dating. So I think about movies like Hitch. Right, like we all love that movie with Will Smith. He's teaching Albert Brenneman how to how to uh, woo this girl that he falls in love with, and people have different means and different resources, and even paying lots of money to professionals or crazy crazy amusement parks to help them in this uh, uh, this pursuit of romance and hopefully living happily ever after in marriage. In my time in ministry, obviously not in this way. I do a lot of the same thing as do the other pastors here. We counsel couples all the time, whether they're dating or they're married or they're, you know, they have feelings for each other and they're figuring out whether they want to date or couples who've been dating for a long time and they don't know whether they should get engaged or not or whether they should split up. And, and what stands out to me from the many years that I've been doing this, and I think the other pastors would agree, is here at church, everyone's trying to think about it in a godly way and doing their best to navigate these tricky waters in a godly way. But what happens that I see constantly is that there's the worldly advice and then there's biblical wisdom. And my hope is that the worldly advice and the biblical wisdom would be like oil and water. They clash and they do not separate, and therefore there's a clear divide. They're distinct and separate. But what I see all the time, not like oil and water, I think it's like a smoothie. Like these ingredients blended together, mashed up and mixed, so you cannot distinguish one from the other. And I hear it in the way we speak about each other. I hear it in the decisions that we've made. I hear it from what other people tell you and then you tell others in like a telephone game. And so this year in our series is just two short weeks. But what I felt really convicted to focus on was separating the two. What is the worldly wisdom that we hear, that we listen to, that we teach and many of us have accepted and embodied. And then what, on the other side, what is wisdom that comes from God that really is what we ought to be hungry for and longing for more of? So in our series, we're just simply calling it Love One Another. And if you look at the image up here, 
Some of you are seated far away, but what it is is just a sliced picture, and this person is reading a magazine, and this person is reading the Bible. And I wanted that image to illustrate what our task is. They're separate. There's two different directions we take. And my hope is that all of us, even myself, in one way or another, we're kind of intertwined like the smoothie. And I want to separate us, oil and water, so that we're longing for, hungering after, and living by God's wisdom and how we approach dating, if we're single, steps in engagement, marriage, child uh, uh, bearing and raising, all that stuff. So this week, I want to begin on this topic. I, I only had two weeks, and I was like, what could I possibly do? And I had personal like, things that I really wanted to talk about. But essentially, I thought, what do I hear the most? What seems to be most pressing, at least from all of you? And it's on this simple topic, readiness, preparedness, being equipped, however you want to define it. So what do I mean by this? What do I mean by readiness and preparedness? What do I mean by I hear that all the time? Questions like this. Pastor Danny, am I ready to date? Many of you have asked me that. Should my boyfriend and I get engaged? How do I know that this person is the one that I ought to be married to? When would it be wise in our marriage when we're going through ups and downs to start to have children? Are we ready to take the next steps? Things like this. Pastor Danny, how should we be preparing We've been dating for three years. How should we prepare for marriage? Pastor Danny, I'm single. How should I prepare for dating so that I can date well in a godly way? Pastor Danny, how should my husband and I uh, manage marriage? And, and how can we, what could we be focusing on so we can prepare to raise children well? What's the most important thing for me to be doing in order to prepare? I hear it all the time. Pastor Bill, you hear it all the time too, right? All the time. You gave me a thumbs up. And the thing is, there are so many competing voices. There's so much noise around the answer to this question. So I'm just simply going to distinguish what I think the world says and what I think the Word of God says. Really simple. So firstly, in terms of readiness and preparedness, what the world teaches, what I hear all the time, is readiness, preparedness, being equipped, being good at it, is measured in stability and experience. The world tells us to get our life in line. We need to have our crap together, our ducks in a row. Make sure you tend to this, this, and this before you take the next step. So let me say that in in the real ways. That was just my fancy way of saying. How many times have you guys heard this? Make sure you know what you're doing with your career path before you propose or get engaged. If you're single, make sure you know what your three- to five-year plan is before getting into anything serious. Make sure you have financial stability. How many times have you heard that? Financial stability before getting married, before dating. Do you have a grasp on your loans before you make a serious decision? Are you able to financially support yourself or someone before you get married? Make sure you have life experience and awareness so you go into situations prepared. If you're too young, college students, you're too young, right? Everyone likes to tell you that. You're too inexperienced. Make sure you're compatible. Date around. Make sure that you know what you're looking for. Make sure that you're super compatible before you get engaged and married. You should live together, and you should figure out what each other's habits are. And then you should be sexually active, so you figure out whether you're sexually compatible. Make sure you spend the right amount of time dating, because if you date for too short, you won't be okay. Make sure you're the right age. The list goes on and on and on. We hear this from sources, people, media, everywhere. 
So in preparation for this message, I felt like I needed to defend my argument, right? I mean, frankly, most of this is coming from you anyway. But I felt like I needed to, like, defend myself and to create this expertise to, to convince you all. And so I went to the most reliable and scholarly source I could find. So I opened up my computer, and then I watched this movie. <laughs> scholarly, right? Who's, who's watched this movie? Let's be real. Okay, decent amount, not everybody. This movie is called To All the... To all the boys I've loved before, it's on Netflix. You can watch it if you have an account. And so I watched this, and first of all, Unji caught me watching, and I was like, she's like, what are you doing? Like, it's for sermon preparation, okay? Like, I'm eating popcorn while watching it. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, this is a movie, uh, you know, it's a, it's a chick flick. You kind of get it from the picture. And there are a few characters that I want to, to, to show you. So this is, this is Josh, and this is Margot, and they're sisters, Okay. And this isn't a spoiler, don't worry, don't worry. Right off, it happens the first 10 minutes of the movie. Right in the beginning of the movie, and I'm taking notes because this is not for entertainment, it's for sermon preparation, remember, (laughs) don't forget that. We find that Josh and Margot are dating, and Josh, we already get this impression, he's a fantastic guy. He's quality, he's really kind, and he loves Margot, he takes care of her. And we realize that Margot is actually heading off to college. So fast forward to a dinner scene where they're talking about it, and all of a sudden this fight blows up, and they go outside, and you see them yelling at each other, but you can't hear what's going on. So Margot comes back in, and she's really sad, and her sister goes up to her and goes, what happened? And she's like, well, I broke up with Josh. And her sister is amazed, like, what? Don't you love him? And she says, yeah, I do love him. So why would you break up with him? And she says, mom said I, should never, I, should, I shouldn't go to college with a boyfriend. So, again, I'm just thinking about social science research, right? Like, why did her mom tell her that? Why did she follow so blindly? Josh is awesome. Why would she break up with him? I guess it's like you shouldn't, maybe, maybe her mom thought you're too young. You shouldn't, you shouldn't hold yourself down when you go to college. But she just follows blindly, and she's in love with this person, and she breaks up with him because someone told her this advice that the number one rule is that you do not go into college with a boyfriend, I'm sharing this in a joking manner, but I'm serious. Our culture has a lot of these beliefs, and we hear advice like this that comes from different sources, even our parents, even our, like our, our, our best friends, our pastors sometimes, about what you must do in order to be wise concerning dating and romance. And Margot's mom's opinion was that you never date from high school to college. It is steadfast rule, and she obeys. And the thing is, we get it from all these directions, and it starts to settle and form and then cement in our hearts. So it did for Margot, right? She just, I don't know if she questioned, she just obeyed. And so these principles of dating and marriage that I think are all about, well, you need to have this and this and this and this all set before you make any serious decisions, start to become secure, and they're coming at us from everywhere. And I can share from personal experience. Let me tell you about my in-laws. When Unji and I were dating, uh, her parents were in Korea. So the only contact we really had was texting here and there, and then every once in a while they would visit. And so I think I had maybe three to four dinners with them max before we actually got engaged and got married. And this came from two different ways. Firstly, her dad. In those four dinners, in our texting, the conversation that we had every single time was about my debt. 
I was at a seminary that gave very little financial aid, that didn't give grants, and there are plenty of seminaries around the country that some you can go for free, and so he kept telling me that debt is the problem, transfer. I was literally one semester away from graduating, and he called me, he's like, did you transfer yet? And so what I see from that is that he believed that the most important preparation I could take for dating and eventually marrying his daughter was being debt-free. Her mom, Unji, I was the first person that she dated, and she told her mom, once we were serious, hey, I'm, I'm going to marry him. And her mom freaked out. You've only dated one person. How could you? Po-? And she, she went on and on. And like, How could you possibly say that? You have to date around. You don't even know what you're looking for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And let me say, I'm not bashing my in-laws. First of all, I love them. I respect them. I look up to them. I admire them. But in this specific example, I'm disappointed in them. What I received in this experience, what they conveyed, was that Unji's dad was more concerned about my debt and how that would affect his daughter rather than my character. I never once talked to him about whether I was kind, whether I care about the poor, how I serve in church, whether I'm a humble person or not. We didn't talk about it a single time. And his mom seemed to, con- or her mom seemed to convey that the greatest concern for her was her daughter getting to know lots and lots of people and finding what she wanted as opposed to building inside of her this understanding of the beauty of what God shows us in covenant, commitment, and marriage regardless of personalities. Now, before I go any further, what I'm not saying is that this advice is dumb. I'm not saying that you know, think about your age, think about money, think about where you're at in life. It's all stupid and that, forget it, like throw it away. That's not what I'm saying. There is wisdom in in having some sort of financial goal. There is wisdom in figuring out how old you are and whether that coincides with maturity level. There is wisdom there. Listen to me carefully. I'm not saying don't do those things. But my concern as a pastor and what I am saying is when those things become our primary measure for preparedness and when it becomes our primary investment, which I think happens to so many of us. Money, where are you at in your degree? Can you afford X, Y, and Z? Have you dated around? How much, how long have you been dating? All those things become our primary measure for readiness and preparedness. And so we spend the most time and energy and work on those things. And that's where I feel like many of us have gotten. So Christians, we measure readiness with whether we have enough money. So we think, oh, I need to make sure I'm financially stable. I can support myself before I date. We measure preparedness with experience. Are we dating long enough? How could we possibly know? Family experience, compatibility, who, what are their parents like, etc. Work field, am I in the middle of a degree or am I, do I have my final career point? And all of this noise, it's constant. And I hear it all the time. And the reason why I'm identifying and starting here in the series, the reason why it's concerning to me pastorally, and the reason why I'm saying it's not wise, it's because it won't prepare you well. To me, it's like when my congregation, if any one of you were to say to me, hey, Pastor Danny, I'm going to run the Boston Marathon in a few months. I say, oh, awesome. How are you going to prepare? And if you were to respond to me, well, I'm going to do research on the best pair of running shoes and the best pair of moisture-wicking clothing. Are running shoes and is moisture-wicking clothing important? Yes, right? We all agree. You should get a good pair of shoes before you run the race. Is it the most important thing? 
No. Will it best prepare you? Heck no. It does not equip you to be ready. And this is what I think happens all the time in the church. It's like we say we're going to run a marathon, and the number one thing on our list is find the best pair of shoes. Is it important? Yes, it is. But it's somewhere lower on the list, right? And whether or not you're married, you already know that's true. Maybe not cognitively, but emotionally and experientially, all of us would agree. Let me just ask simple rhetorical questions. If that is best preparedness, if the wisdom of the, or the worldly advice is true, then those of us who are, are have, if you've experienced marital strife, fights in marriage or dating or whatever, if you've broken up with someone, if, w- would you have solved those fights if you dated longer? Those of us who are parents and you have children, if you lived longer together and had more sexual compatibility, would that make you raising your children easier? Those of us who have been hurt by somebody in dating, marriage, it doesn't matter, and you broke up or you fought and you've had serious arguments and somebody backstabbed you or you felt pain or hurt from romance, if I were to deposit $20,000 into your bank account, would that solve any of the problem? Those of you who have experienced pain and romance, if you were done your degree, think about a fight you had. Think about pain that you experienced. Think about a way that you hurt somebody or they hurt you. If you had doctor in front of your name or CEO in front of your name, would that have solved the problem? The answer is no. So why do we focus on that firstly then? Why do our pastors, our parents, our mentors, our best friends, our roommates encourage us to put that at the top of the list? Having money, experience, stable job, family history, dating history, time compatibility, da, 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 da. it will not prepare you best to be a godly boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, mom, dad. Because the common denominator to unhealthy relationships is sin. And the common denominator to healthy relationships is certainly not money, it's not your age, it's not your degrees. It's not your life stage. So what is it then? We're not going to get this from a Netflix movie or a magazine or a blog. We're going to get it from God's word. So let's hunger after this. Now, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what I think the Bible says about readiness is it's measured in character, in Jesus-likeness, Christ-likeness. It's measured in character and how like our Lord and Savior Jesus you are or you aren't. See, in this chapter of Colossians, Paul is talking about how our lives have been transformed in a new life with Jesus. So just listen, it won't be up there, but just just the beginning verses of this chapter say this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, a couple of the verses. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, our, so this is the, 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 the overarching umbrella. You, once you accepted Jesus, the gospel, he, he extended grace and forgiveness to you. You made him your Lord and Savior. You accepted him into your life. Now you are a new creation. It's completely different. It's not that you changed. You are new. And so your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what is the result of that? It's clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, being forgiving and loving. You see, the Bible, including this passage, is not about marriage principles. It's not about dating. In fact, the Bible doesn't talk about dating. And it talks about marriage, but it talks about marriage very little. What the Bible does do is it guides us and teaches us who our God is and how we ought to spend our life here on earth with the time that we've been given. And what this word from Paul reminds us is that everything we do, the overarching umbrella is that your life is new and hidden and raised with Christ. You're no longer the same. You're not of this world. We are to set our minds not on earthly things, but things that are above. And the fruit, the amazing fruit that comes out of that, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. This is not a text about marriage or dating. But it's a text that matters greatly to marriage and dating. Because your spouse will experience the fruit of this more than anyone in the whole world. More than your parents, more than your children, more than your best friend, more than your maid of honor or your best man. It will be your spouse who experiences the fruit of Christ-likeness more than anybody. So it matters greatly to your character, greatly to romance. The best way to prepare for a marathon is not to get shoes. It is to run every day. The best way we prepare for our marriage is not figuring out our bank accounts. It's asking God to make us more holy. Therefore, readiness is not a state that you achieve. It is a posture of humility that you daily commit to. Those of you who have asked me that question, I can't count. Pastor Danny, am I ready to date? I don't know. (laughs) I don't follow you around. But here's what I do know, that you won't step into it. Check. You must commit to it. You're wondering that, right? Are we ready to engage? Are we ready to get married? Are we ready to have kids? Should we move? Where's our next steps as a couple? I'm single. Should I ask this girl out? Am I prepared to do it in a godly way? I don't know because it's not a checklist. It's a commitment. You step into it and you wake up every day and you choose holiness and godliness and you pray and you desire Jesus to make you more like him. And the reason why I want to start with this is because all the time, you guys are hearing this. You're hearing get a stable job first. You hear figure out your career first. You hear graduate college, your master's program, your PhD program first. Pay off your debt first. Do all these things first. And then you'll be ready. That's not true. 
I'm sorry to offend you if your parents told you that, if your best friend told you that, or if your mentor told you that, but it's not true. It's like me saying, go run a marathon, here's a pair of ASICs. There's not a station that you arrive at. It is a posture that you choose daily. Our preparedness to be a godly boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife is not a situational thing. It's a heart and character thing. It's about embodying the character and likeness of Jesus and allowing the person that you love to experience that in a way that they have never experienced from anybody else. So how do we apply this? We invest in it. We put it first in becoming more like Jesus. We put that at the top of the list and we put money and all the other things. We just bump it down. Again, I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying go flippantly and, oh, you can be like 14 and come. Just, just bump it down a little bit, you know? And just put this at the very, very top. Don't watch stupid movies about girls sending out letters to five guys or whatever. Don't want, read magazines and books on dating advice. Meditate on this word from God. Clothe yourselves, church, with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. And above all these things, we love. So if you're single and you're thinking, oh, like, I don't know whether I'm ready or not, or what my next step should be, well, you invest in this and start self-examining. Maybe the other relationships in your life. Are you being compassionate and, and kind and forgiving to the other relationships that you have? Because it matters. If you can't be patient for a single day with your roommates, I worry about whether you would be patient with somebody that you're that intertwined with. Focus on your character, whether you're becoming more like Jesus, and that will prepare you more for your marriage than anything else. If you're currently married or dating or engaged, are you daily working on figuring out, clothing yourself in this way, or are you worried about the details? When I do premarital counseling with couples, my number one goal is to get us to stop putting marriage planning and, 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 and cocktails and hors d'oeuvres and time and schedule up here. Because that's not going to prepare you for marriage. we got to push that down and put how are we focused on pouring into God's word and becoming more like him so that when we do get married, we will bless each other so greatly. The hors d'oeuvres are not going to do that. Is your guest list going to do that? Is going on lots of fun dates when you're just dating going to do that? Is being creative in in what you do and your time going to do that? It's not. It's not going to do that. We need to look for opportunity to invest in our Christ-like character and to express these things to our partners because that's what's going to inject health into a thriving, thriving marriage. You see, Jesus, he doesn't always fit the role or the situation to all the things in life. He never dated. He was never a husband. So we can't really look to him in that specific way. But he always succeeds and is always perfect in showing us how to be best fit for the role. He's always the perfect example. 
In his life, he displayed compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness and love perfectly. And it's in him where our greatest strivings ought to be found. And like I said, your holiness and your character is going to matter to your current or your future spouse more than anyone in this whole world. And the thing is, even those of us who are not married yet, you know that's true. Again, experientially, because you know how much it matters, because you know, you've experienced what it's like to be on the receiving end of it. Think about the way that Jesus loves you and how important that is to your life. In the gospel of Jesus, we, we, we know that we are given this free gift because of Jesus' blood and sacrifice, his, his victory over death, and the fact that he stands before us at, and he intercedes on our behalf. We are, his, his righteousness is given to us. So we are undeserving people who are greatly loved. He pours compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, forgiveness and love on us so greatly. We've received that, right? Now let me ask you, is that more important to your life today or is it how much money you have? Is that the greatest thing that's ever happened to your life right now or what education you've received? You know it's true. You know it's true. You know that the best thing that's ever happened in your life is this display of love that Jesus modeled and freely gave to you. So likewise, your future spouse or current one, if you're married, is going to want and need to experience that from you too. It's the most important thing. So now that we've received love, let us give it. So, Pastor Danny, I'm a college student. Do you think I'm ready to date? Pastor Danny, my boyfriend and I are thinking about engagement. Do you think we should? Pastor Danny, my wife and I, we want to have kids. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Well, what's your priority in life? Is it worship? Is it following the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul? Are you daily committed to following Jesus? And yes, I think you are. You could be broke, a drop out of school, and your life could be a mess. But I think you are. Because true wisdom is this. Those who are hungry to be more like Jesus are the most equipped and most prepared to be a godly husband and wife. It's the number one character. It's the number one attribute. It's the number one thing. So let's pray now and commit ourselves to him. (laughs) Father, we first want to direct our hearts and our minds to how greatly we have received from you. We deserve punishment. We deserve separation from you. you have instead given us unconditional love. You've given us forgiveness with no boundary. You've blessed us even materially. You've given us each day to live as a gift. You walk alongside of us. You you know exactly what's going on in our lives because you care. It's amazing how greatly you love your children. 
And we want our spouses to experience the same thing as close as it can be from our human ability and how you strengthen and use us from us. God, I want to pray that you would silence the noise. There's so much pressure. It feels like there's so much stress around dating and whether we're doing the right thing or not. There's so much insecurity and fear and there's so many eyes that are constantly watching us and mouths that are chattering incessantly. Pray that you would just silence those things. And firstly, tell us how you care about this area in our life. You made us this way. You created us to love and to long for a partner. You created us for marriage and for sex and for child raising. And, raise, and creating families. You created us for romance. You long for this for us, and you delight in these things. And so we want to delight and experience it in the way that you design. Not in the way that the world pushes. Not in the way that the voices around us demand or command. We want to do it in a way that you designed for us because you know it's best. And maybe I'm wrong, but I can't seem to find anything else, anywhere else in the Bible that leads me a different direction but to say you want us to be husbands and wives that are humble, that love, that forgive, that are kind and gentle and compassionate. And so I want to pray over our congregation, regardless of where we're at in this stage, make us more like you. Strengthen us so that we can invest in this area of our lives and commit to more of this. Remind us daily as we wake up that it's another opportunity to walk alongside you and to grow into your likeness. Take away any burden, Father, and turn it into delight to bear your character in our lives and in this world. And for the marriages and any relationships here that are struggling, I pray that you would teach us to look inwardly and then to look up at you and for us to long to take action in a Christ-like way to breathe health and love into our relationships where they struggle. We don't want worldly wisdom. We want yours. And so we thank you for your word that brings light to our eyes and is a lamp unto our feet. So with confidence, we commit to you and we want to follow you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all rise. Uh